after a kind of an epic video like that. Uh, it looks a little bit anticlimactic to just start preaching uh, right now. Um, sorry about that. But there is something I wanted to actually say about that. There's a reason that I chose a video like that to begin a sermon like this one. Now, if you remember, I've been going through the book of Nehemiah. I know it's been a while <laughs> since I've been here, but we've been going through point by point the book of Nehemiah. And we talked about how God worked in the heart of a man named Nehemiah to understand the problems that were happening in his home country. He was living in exile in the Persian Empire and his home country, his home city of Jerusalem had its walls broken down entirely. We talked about how that was a huge deal. It was kind of like uh, if today we said that the city of St. John's has no police at all and pretty much anybody can do whatever they want here in St. John's. That's pretty much what you're talking about when it comes to no wall in Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah hears about this from his brother and he's cut to the heart and he understands that there needs to be something done. And so he prays and he prays hard for months and years. Well, actually just months, but months. And then he stands before his boss, the king of the Persian Empire, Artaxerxes, a man who has already said early in his, in his time there, Jerusalem should not be rebuilt because it's a rebellious city. It's a traitorous city. And Nehemiah, for some reason, he prays and he, he understands that this could be dangerous. He might be going against his boss, a king. And, and so he prays and he asks, I really want to be able to do this. And the wonder of wonders, God works in the heart of Artaxerxes. God makes it so that Nehemiah can return to Jerusalem with letters and uh, with people to help and with money and resources to be able to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, starting with its walls. That sounds like an amazing story, right? That's pretty darn epic. It kind of fits this. That's not the text we're dealing with today. The text we're dealing with today is after Nehemiah gets back, he has to, you know, figure out what's going on. He wants to figure out what needs to be done. And so in order to do that, he walks around the wall. Pretty much the, that's pretty much the text for today. That doesn't sound very exciting, does it? And you see, I think there's a reason we think like that. And I don't think it's a good one. You see, we live in uh, a world that's very entertainment-driven. In his uh, book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Neil Postman talks about how we are an entertainment culture. We're aimed at being entertained more than we are about being educated. We want things to be exciting. Pow, 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 pow. We'll get it done. We're going to run and we're going to be able to do great things for the Lord. But we don't often think about the steps between God's great call and the fulfillment of God's call. In fact, as Christians, we, of, uh, we often under, uh, underrepresent the things that need to be done when it comes to making a call that God has really given us reality. But make no mistake, Nehemiah was called of God to do something great 
for God's people. That's clear. We know that Nehemiah felt the call himself. That's something we understand pretty well. You know, if I feel called for something, uh, I say we'll even use it in common Christian tongue. You know, when we want to do something uh, in the church or around us, I say, I feel called to do this. You know, interestingly enough, when you're about, what, 19, 20 years old and you're in the youth group or the college and careers groups, you always feel called to date the prettiest girl in the youth group. I mean, and, and you will use that words, I feel called. And so we understand feeling a call. We also, but Nehemiah didn't just receive a call. He actually received God's favor in that call. God has worked in, I would say miraculously, to set things up so that, God, so that his call will be worked through in Nehemiah's life. That's what we call confirmation. He's been confirmed in his call. In fact, it's not even just that he got received favor in the sense of uh, people say it's okay in confirmation. He got stuff. The money is sitting there. He's able to do the work. The problem is, well, all of this stuff comes together. Well, now what? He's got the call. He's got the call confirmed. He's got the stuff to follow through with the call. Now what? And I, 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 I asked that question because modern Christian thinking on this isn't always the greatest. We tend to have two options that we follow. We say, should we, you know, essentially wait for God to do everything? You know, we're going to say that God has called us to do these gra this great thing. We've got all the resources sitting aside. We're ready with everything to go. And then in a lot of cases, Christians often in a more uh, uh, feely type theology will say, and now we'll just wait until God does something with it. I mean, I, I've seen this happen. You know, churches have been blessed with great amounts of thing, properties and things to do. And you know, they know the calling of the Lord to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They know the call of the Lord on them for their city and for the world. And they've got all the stuff to do it. And they just kind of sit there. They build up money and they build up resources and they build up time without doing anything because, you know, the Lord hasn't done it. So they just kind of wait for the Lord to do everything, absolutely everything. So they just sit and wait. But there's another possibility that's probably just as bad. We, sometimes we're called to do something and we imagine that we have to do it all ourselves. Uh, you know, a bit of confession here. This is what I usually do when it comes to my own sin. I know that I'm called to put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's in the Bible. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's for there. Oftentimes, though, I'll try to do that in my own strength. I'll just, you know, say, okay, well, I'll do this five-step program, and by the end of the five-step program, I'm going to have this sin defeated. I don't have to worry about, you know, praying to God. I don't have to worry about uh, wondering what other people think. I don't need to get help in this. I'm just going to do it myself. You see, both of these are bad ideas. Just by way of uh, an example, uh, has anybody heard of D.L. Moody? Dwight L. Moody. Yeah. Okay. Some, some people, some people not. 
If you don't know, about the late end of the, late end of the 19th century, D.L. Moody was an evangelist in the United States. He was kind of, a, kind of the progenitor of the whole Sunday school program thing. That's what he called himself. I'm a Sabbath school teacher is what he would talk, call himself usually. But he was generally a mass evangelist. He'd stand up in front of crowds, you know, hundreds of times the size of what we've got here. And he'd preach the gospel to people. And, you know, at the end of the message, he'd say, you know, you can come forward and you can go off to the inquiry room. And once you're in the inquiry room, we'll, you know, sing some more songs, make sure that you make a decision for the Lord. Talk about the theology of that in a second. So while this was happening, I mean, at the time, some people had problems with the way that D.L. Moody was doing this. Uh, as I just said, you know, intimated, I might have some problems with it. But one day a lady criticized Dwight Moody for his methods of evangelism in attempting to win people to the Lord. Moody's reply was, I agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. Tell me how you do it. The lady replied, I don't do it. Moody retorted, then I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. <laughs> Normally now, as a pastor using that very common illustration, I'll tell you about how it's important that we do evangelism even if it's going to be bad. But I'll say that he also, this examples another problem. You see, Dwight Moody's method of doing evangelism does cause problems in the long run. The reason that we have a lot of people who believe that they're Christians just because they have a little decision card in their wallet they don't live for Jesus at all. They spend their whole lives claiming to be Christians who never read their Bibles. They never spend time with God's people. They do nothing to spread the word of God's call to the rest of the world. And then they still say they're Christians because they made a decision for the Lord back 50, 60 years ago and have not lived for Jesus since. I actually met the man on a, a man like that on the bus a couple of years ago when I was just coming home from work up on the other end of town. Uh, he claimed that he was a good Baptist boy. He was a solid Baptist. Now, he was also stark drunk at this point. He was telling me about how it was great that he knew Jesus. And I asked him, so which church do you go to? He said he went to West End. And I said, oh, I, I know lots of people at West End because, you know, they're our sister church. So do you know this guy, or this guy, or this guy? Then I named the pastor. Do you know this guy? Oh, I've never heard that guy's name. Well, he's been pastor for like 10 years. That means you haven't been there in 10 years. And yet he was saying, I'm a good Baptist boy. Partially because he had made a decision, he had the little card. And that's part of what D.L. Moody's problem was. He did evangelism. He did evangelism well. God blessed him in it. But some of the thing, the way that he went about it wasn't very helpful in the long run. Nehemiah actually shows us a better way. We're going to Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Or sorry, 9 to 20. 
Then I came to the governors of the, re, re, of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king sent with me officers and horsemen. But when Senballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, by the way, keep those names in mind for a second, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went by, out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate and I expected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. There was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up by night in the night by the valley and expected the wall. And I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were with me who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been on me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Gershom the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. You see, Nehemiah knew that there had to be something done between having a great call and actually receiving the re results of that great call. He knew there had to be planning. Not just the kind of planning where you, you know, think, okay, I'd, I'd really like to see this done, but the kind of planning where, okay, Who's going to build the dung gate? Who's going to handle the dragon gate? Who's going to handle the king's gate? What needs to be done at these places? What exactly needs to be done at these places? How do we need to put people in these positions? You see, God's call will require not just that we act, but we act wisely and in faith. It's not just that we get a message from God and he tells us to do something. We need to think it through. We need to follow what, 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 when God gives us a call and we understand that God has called us to something, we need to take it seriously enough to go around and say, okay, what does this mean? What is this going to be for me? How am I going to, as Jesus will say later, count the cost to see what God has called me to do, done. 
he's focusing on needing what he needs to do. He needs to get the, this kind of thing handled. He counts the cost. Notice, despite the fact that he has opposition, he doesn't lose heart. In 9 and 10, you notice the people, I, I talked about this the last time I preached, okay, Nehemiah comes by with letters from the king and a military escort. And these guys say, I'm angry. I don't like this. This is terrible. Now, it takes a special kind of opposition to say, you know, I am opposed to you even if you've got, you know, the hand of the king and the hand of your God on your side. It means you really don't like Jerusalem. And these guys don't like Jerusalem. But instead of doing what, you know, he could have done, either run away or then try to use military power to get stuff done. Instead of that, he follows through on his planning, and in the middle of the night, he goes to find out what needs to be done. He only takes a few people that he can trust. He doesn't, you know, promote everybody as having to do this. He doesn't say, you know, uh, I need to get a committee together to make sure that all of us get our words in so that we can figure out how to do every specific thing that happens here. No, he just grabs a couple of people who know what needs to be done, know what his vision is, and then take them around the area and say, okay, what do we need to do? Uh, I, I, I love, honestly, that I have an object lesson from that from us. Did, how many of you parked up there today? Yeah, do you, do you realize that like three weeks ago we didn't have a parking lot? Yeah, do, do you know why that happened? It's because some guy that we didn't really know actually looked at what we needed done and said, well, I could put a parking lot right there. Would you like me to? And of course, our elders being, you know, smart people said, sure. And now we have a, we, now we have a parking lot. And this is a big deal. Cause do you realize how long we've needed a parking lot? I mean, how many winters I've gone through that lane way between here and the thing slipping every once in a while in the winter? I mean, some of you are giggling because you know what it looks like. And yet God put in our, our, in our way one man who was able to see what needed to be done. And then the few people were able to see, okay, yeah, that needs to be done. Let's do it. And they asked a few of the, the men in the church, people who knew what the church needed to have done, and they, they responded. Uh, I mean, that's just a small example. Just a small example. But he takes a few people he can trust, a few people who understand the situation and understand what can be done and what should be done. Nehemiah also looks at the situation, the real situation on the ground. I have to say, this is probably something that we in the church have a larger problem with than most. Part of it is because we have kind of a misplaced faith situation. Like, we, we believe that faith overcomes absolutely everything. And to be clear, God can overcome any opposition. Any difficulty is not too big for the Lord. But some of the oppositions that we face, we shouldn't overcome at all because they're not part of our calling. I'll give you a quick, easy example. I, a lot of times I've dealt with missionaries. Missionaries are great people. They desire to spread the word of God to other cultures. 
But when I was living in Korea, there were two kinds of missionaries you could run into. One is the kind of missionary who actually cared, who had done the work beforehand. And, you know, actually showed up a little bit in advance, tried to figure out what the city was like, tried to learn the language and the culture and that kind of thing so that he could pre uh, preach the gospel to people and, you know, talk like he isn't an idiot and not let people think wrong things about what the gospel is. There's another kind, though. These are kind of missionary tourists. And I'm not talking about short-term missionaries here. I'm talking about people who said that they would go for a long time and they wanted to plant a church in one of the cities in, in Korea. Now, first of all, I don't know why you want to plant a church in a city in South Korea. There are tens of thousands of them, literally every street corner. But if you feel called that way and God has called you that way, that's great. But instead of going to Korea and trying to understand the people and understand the culture, spend some time learning things, figuring out, okay, what kind of church do we need to plant? How are we going to plant it? Where is it going to be planted? They show up often with an awful lot of money from their home church and just throw up a Western building in the middle of a, in, in the middle of a field somewhere and then just call people to come. And then, you know, they get a few people to come and a bunch of people do come and the church continues for a short time and then it collapses. And that doesn't do anything for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't do anything positive for the gospel. They had just simply skipped several of the steps trying to figure out, you know, how to love the people of Korea, which is important if you're going to do mission work. It's important if you're going to do something. It's good and noble and just to plant churches. I hope to plant churches myself. I think Newfoundland needs hundreds of them. But I would desire that we do it well so that people will know Jesus in these churches, so that these churches will continue on their own for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, continue making disciples of all nations until the guys in the front row have great-grandchildren. I desire to see real churches planted. And so that's, we need to be like Nehemiah in this case and just look at what actually needs to be done and think about, count the cost of how to do it. Not just throw money, not just throw resources, not just pretend that God can overcome everything he can. But let's, let's be honest. He shouldn't have to overcome my stupidity. He should be, we should follow through with what he calls. You see, God's call requires that we act wisely in faith. Not just in faith. Faith is good, faith is powerful, but it needs to be wise. There's a reason that Jesus told us we need to be wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. When he said that we need to be, we come into the kingdom like children, he wasn't saying that we need to be childish, that we need to be unthinking. He was saying that we need to be trusting, but we still need to use the gifts God gives us for his glory. And those gifts include our ability to plan our ability to understand things, our ability to listen. 
sorry to keep harping on this, but it is one of the thing, one of my pet peeves. It's like the way that sometimes people try to do evangelism. Have you ever run into the person who just throws tracts at people and says you're damned to hell unless you believe without ever actually listening to the person, trying to understand where what they actually believe now and take them to Christ? The kind of people who just, you know, and uh, honestly, I'm, I was like it for a while. The people who will just ram through whatever they believe and not really listen to people. That's why during the uh, tactics sessions that we do before these, I try to say that we need to be able to listen to other people, to be able to answer and respond to what they actually believe instead of what we think they believe. We need to love people. We need to, we need to, we are called to evangelize. We are called to reach the people around us. But that doesn't mean that we, every way that we try to reach people is equal. And Nehemiah shows us a better way. He does the hard, boring work of figuring out what needs to be done. Just surveying what needs to be done. But second of all, he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just plan stuff. He also lets God's people share in God's call. See, remember, Nehemiah is coming in with the full power of the king of the Persian Empire. He has boku bucks. He could pay people to build the walls. In fact, he could probably force people with military force to build the walls. Instead, no, look at what he does. Verse, uh, verse 17. Then I said to them, referring to the people of Israel, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned, Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of God that had been on me for good and also the words of the king that had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now, the message he has has three parts. And he can do this because he spent the time going around the city to figure this stuff out. He knows things are bad. He knows that the problem is there. So he points out to the people of God, the people of Jerusalem, things are bad. But he doesn't do it in the kind of way that, you know, we would do it in saying, you know, uh, or, well, well, some people would do it and say, you know, things are bad for you guys. He says, things are bad for us, that we may no longer suffer derision, that we may no longer have these problems. He, he says they're bad, he owns it. And you know what? If somebody comes up to him and says, You're f you've been living in the capital too long, you don't understand just how bad it is. No, Nehemiah can say, no, I understand just how bad it is. Do you see that pile of uh, rubble over there? I couldn't even get my donkey through there. Did you see that over there? I know why that, that thing is broken. I know that we're going to need a lot more work on this one than on that one. He's understood what's going on, and he's going to share with them. He understands just how bad they are. But then he also tells them that we should improve this. 
He gives them a desire, something that we can look to to see, let's do this. Let's build the walls of Jerusalem. We can do this. And again, he knows exactly how to do this. He spent the time. He's taken the opportunity to figure out what's going on. And he's showed what needs to be done. He says, again, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. He gives them a goal, something that they can hope for. He doesn't just say stuff is tough. He says things are bad. Here's how they can be better. But even more than that, he testifies. And he really testifies, not the kind of testimony you sometimes get in churches where somebody says, 50 years ago I turned to Jesus and uh, that's pretty much all that's happened. No, he testifies about what God has done specifically for this case. He says about what, why the hand of his God has been on him. He says about what God has moved Artaxerxes to say. He says, he says to his people, not only should you have hope that we can have a wall around this city, that we can no longer suffer derision. I know that the Lord God has been working this way. I can point to you why God has said this. We don't need to be believing in some kind of easy believism kind of faith where, you know, whatever we believe will happen. No, we know that God has a desire to see this done because God has been working to see it done. He has hope, and it's a true hope. It's a solid hope, and he shares it with people. Friends, that's really powerful. How often is it that we have calls of God that we just simply keep to ourselves? I mean, and I don't mean just minor things. Well, I don't even just mean major things. Think about this. All of the calls in our lives can be shared with other people. Most of them should be. I'm called to evangelize around the university that I work at. You know what? Maybe I should tell people about that. Maybe I should get you guys praying for me while I preach the gospel to my friends at the university. Maybe I should be asking you guys, you know what, I, I've had this problem. How can these guys, how can you help me with this? I have a church family of, what, about 80, 90 here who can actually help me with this. Let's, let's think about some other callings. It's not my calling, but I'm sure some of you are called this way. Some of you are married. If you are married, you are called to love your wife. You are called to love your husband. Well, I'm, I'm not an idiot. I've seen marriages. They don't always work like fairy tales. Am I right? I mean, I, I might be wrong. Maybe all marriages are fairy tales and nobody ever has problems with the other person. Um, I personally doubt it, but maybe. But if that's the case, maybe we should be sharing with one another uh, how to actually love our spouses. It is a calling we have. It is your calling specifically to love your spouse. But you know what? You could ask other people to help you. You know what? <laughs> I know I get angry 
a lot of times for no rational reason. Watch me drive sometime. Well, I'm sure that that will probably, if I ever am blessed with a marriage, I'll probably do that with my wife. I could tell my friends around me, you know what? I've been having this problem where I just get irrationally angry for no good reason, and I'm, I'm having trouble apologizing to my wife. Could you pray for me? Could you hold me accountable to this? Um, they could look at the way I, I work around other people, the way I interact with other people and say, you know what, that's probably not the best way to go about it. Maybe you should do this. Maybe people could give me a good ideas about how to date my spouse. All of this stuff can be shared. And you know what? You can do it the same way Nehemiah does. Uh, things are bad. I'm having trouble with this. I need to improve it. And God is working in, in me and around me to help me do better. We are called as a people to make disciples of all nations. We, luckily, we do this here as a church in a group. Steve talked about it right at the beginning of the announcements. Tim Churchill, we help pay for to go to other countries to help make disciples of other nations. In fact, he's, he's pretty well, he's worth our bucks a lot in a lot of ways because he trains other people to make disciples in Africa. I mean, his footprint is huge. But we as a church work together. We pray for him. We see how God is working in his, in his job there and we pray for him. God is working to make things happen and we can join in. That's true for all our callings. And I mean, you know, it's a stereotype. Anybody who preaches on Nehemiah has to bring up a building project. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, we're kind of full. Uh, we have some empty seats right now, but that's because people, I'm guessing, were a little bored and went up there. But we need a building. <laughs> we really do. We need to be able to fit more people to, so we can disciple more people. We need to be able to be ready to plant churches throughout the city and support them. And for that, we're going to need places to be able to do that. Well, we have a problem. Things are bad. We should improve them. And we know that God is working here. Because there are people here. God is working on people's hearts to bring them here to help with one another. We know that God has done this. God has done amazing things. I actually think it's miraculous that we have a parking lot up there. I know it's a strange thing to be all excited about. But think about it. We now have a place to put people. If you want to invite people to this church, you can now. They aren't going to be parking five miles down the road and trying to walk here. We can do this now. God has been working so we can testify to it. Third of all, and this is probably something that we need to worry about uh, as well. We need to be ready. There will be opposition. It just happens. Notice, uh, I told you to remember the two names at the beginning of the Nehemiah passage we're dealing with. Notice that they grow by the, the end of the Nehemiah passage. It's like Tobiah and Sanballat at the beginning. And then after that, they add another guy named Gershom. Like, seriously, they're, they're, they're getting opposition. They're growing opposition 
while Nehemiah is following God's call. That's going to happen. Jesus promised it. I know it's weird to, ha to hang on to the negative promises of Jesus, but here's the promise of Jesus. If they hated me, they'll hate you. They will. And we've got to love them anyway. We still have things that we're going to need to do, but we're going to be opposed. In our own lives, when I, talking about my own sin, I like my sin. That's why I sin. I have something in my own flesh working against me. That's why I have you guys to help me. That's why I have the Spirit of God working on me to help me. Because if I fight my sin myself, I'll fail. If for single people, we are called to be holy even as we don't have some of the outlets that the married people do. We are called to be holy. That means we don't flirt unnecessarily with people. We don't do, but it, we live in this culture. Seriously. I see more pornography walking down the bottom floor of the Avalon Mall than my parent, grandparents saw in their entire lives. Seriously. I, am, they, I have things working against me. And even in the midst of that, when I talk to my friends at the university, when I talk to my friends at the university, they really think that, that it's good that this is the way it is. We need to have freedom and be liberal and have lots of open abilities to do whatever we want. They're, they don't realize it, but they're opposing my, my desire to be holy. Those of you who are married, I don't know if you've noticed this, the society doesn't like marriage. I know it's strange to say that considering, you know, they were just up in arms about getting uh, the ability for gay people to be married. But let's face it, the reason is they don't really like marriage that much. If you don't like marriage, if you don't like being married to the person you're married to, they'll say, well, divorce them, find somebody else. And in fact, there are entire websites designed to help me have an affair on my wife, if I had one. Seriously, think about it. What kind of twisted, sick culture creates websites to break promises? But that's what the world we have. There will be opposition. Let's face it, if this church grows, if we grow, if people start coming here, if people start coming to know Jesus, if people start coming to love Jesus and be discipled, they will figure out that we don't agree with the culture on everything. And then there will be people in the culture who will oppose us. I don't know if it's going to be like in some places, but let's face it. There are churches that get protested because they believe things that aren't popular. Uh, this church has a, f a great number of those things that probably won't be popular. Uh, we have male elders and only male elders. Try saying that in some circles. I actually know friends of mine who would probably protest us if they knew that one. Some of them even thinking they're Christians while they're doing it. We need to be ready for opposition. But notice the way that he d dealt with opposition. Nehemiah, again, he starts off, he understands that there's two people who oppose him. And then we notice that he gets a third person of it. Notice how they oppose him. They oppose him by saying, you're going against the king. You're going to do treason. 
Now, remember at the beginning of the introduction, I said that Artaxerxes stopped work on Jerusalem. Do you remember why he stopped work on Jerusalem? If you look in Ezra, you'll find it. Because they are a traitorous city. If I, they, they figured that if Jerusalem got rebuilt, this city of Jerusalem would re rebel against the king. And that was an argument that Artaxerxes himself accepted. So when these guys say, are you rebelling against the king? When they say that to Nehemiah, they're giving him a very solid, very powerful opposition. It's not just words. It's not just, you know, them, them tweeting something bad. It's saying, I'm going to go to the king and tell him you're, going, you're, you're being a traitor. That's a big deal. But notice how Nehemiah responds. This is verse uh, 20. Well, I'll start at 19 again to show the point. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, again, like I said, they had just added Gershom. What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Rhetorical question. They think we, you are. They want to oppose you. Then I, being Nehemiah, replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Stop there for a second. Nehemiah focuses on the faithfulness of God. He understands that God will be faithful. So he focuses on that and he hammers down on that. And we, his servants, will arise and build. Because he knows that God is faithful, we as a people will follow him. We'll do what he says. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. And he says, essentially, and this is none of your business. We God is good. God will follow through. But we are not going to stop because you don't like it. We're not going to stop because you disagree. We have a call. God is a good, gives good calls, and he's going to bring it to completion. So, essentially, if you don't want to help us, go away. He deals with the... But he, Again, he's dealing with the opposition not as, not as hateful, not as, but with the power of God, that God will be faithful. All right, so what? There are three points of application I think I have. Counting here, yes, I have three. Well, is God calling you to something? Guys, is God calling you to something? Anybody? Nobody's God calling you to anything? Is God calling you to something, do you think? I'll give you a pointed thing. Yes, he is. I can tell you, I can open chapter and verse and give you some ideas about things he's calling you to. Uh, for example, if you're not a believer in here today, Acts 17, 29 to 31, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a call of God. And as I said to you, you can follow it wisely. You can get people around you to help you follow it, but do that one. That's a call. Are you a believer today? Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go make disciples of all nations. Clear call. We are called to that. Uh, are, do you have enemies? Do you have stress with other people? 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36, if you want to find the whole passage there. Are you struggling with sin? Put on Christ Jesus and put away your sin. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. You have calls. But I don't want us as a church to be simply giving us giving out these calls and saying, you know, do better. Do it wisely. There's a reason we have a whole book instead of just a single list of rules. We don't just have a Ten Commandments in the Bible. We have lots of things talking about who God is and what God will do for us, talking about how we work as a family together to help ourselves be closer to God. So don't just obey, wisely obey. Search the scriptures to find the ways to do this well. Try to understand your own heart. Reflect on the things that are wrong and deal with it. When you're talking about your, friend, your enemies, when it says love them, don't just love them as in, oh yeah, I really love them, but I'm just going to stay completely apart from them. No, really love them. Understand what they say. Understand why they say it. And do good for them. Really, wisely obey. When it says pray for those who persecute you, by the way, don't just pray nebulous prayers for those who persecute you. Find out what they really need and then pray for that. I tell you, that, that would freak them out. <laughs> but second, bring your Christian fr- family into your call so they can support you. Uh, There are individual calls and there are group calls. Honestly, most individual calls are supported by group calls. We are called to love one another as Christ has loved us. Well, to do that, I need to be able to help you, my brothers and sisters, to follow in your calls. You should probably do the same for me. When it comes to the calls that we have for this city, we need to be able to work together to be able to do them, to follow through. Bring your Christian family into your call. Don't just look around and see what needs to be done. Yes, look around and see what needs to be done, but don't just do that. Show people what can be done. Help people to dream big dreams for the world that we live in. If if I say that I think St. John's needs more churches, I should actually let you guys know I think St. John's needs more churches. I should be able to show you why. I think there needs to be another one in the East End. We need to have something downtown evangelizing people. We need to actually start pushing out into North uh, Conception Bay North and into Central Newfoundland and Western Newfoundland so that functional churches are everywhere. So that our people, the people we know and love and care about can love Jesus so that they can be transformed by the power of the gospel. And it can be done. But let's share our goals, our dreams. Sorry, church planning just happens to be one of the big ones for me. I focus on it a lot. But finally and most importantly, continue to be faithful, even when you're opposed. And I I have to say that clearly, even when you're opposed. A lot of Christians have this misguided idea that if God, quote unquote, closes the door, 
then we should completely stop doing any, anything that God has called us to. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of us will simply use closing the door as facing any opposition whatsoever. I mean, I, I, I even talked to somebody like this. My, uh, she, he said to me, God is telling me to leave my wife because she keeps insulting me. Well, I think it's wrong that his wife kept insulting him, but I'm, I'm relatively sure that the Bible and that Jesus isn't saying, you know, because there's opposition, because there's problems, because there's a difficulty here, you're supposed to leave. That's not what it means. Here in the city of St. John's, I can tell you for a fact, some people will not want to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people will be actually opposed to you telling other people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll fight you. Do it anyway. It's our calling. That's not a closed door. Continue to be faithful even as we face opposition. That's what we see Nehemiah doing. Friends, we have clear callings. Our callings are provided to us. If we don't have clear callings, there are, there's a family around us to help us to understand our calls in life. But we need to be faithful and wise as we follow them. We don't need just the epic music playing in the background while we do something terribly amazing for Jesus. That terribly amazing thing for Jesus is going to have a lot of immediate steps. You know what? Sometimes when it comes to this church, some of the functioning is going to be to clean the toilet. It'll still need to be done. It's still part of the calling. It's not go <laughs> you're not going to have the Rocky theme song playing while you do it. Unless you have a Rocky theme song on your radio, which is kind of weird. But still, you do. we do need to do the things that need to be done. We need to follow our callings, follow them wisely, and be faithful when they when we face opposition, if we could pray. Lord God, you are good. You are far better than anything we could imagine or ask about. You have done great things in us, through us, and for us. We now pray that as we go out into the world this week, that we would follow through with the things you call us to do that we do them wisely, that we do them well, that we do them in godly ways, but that we would do them. And that when people oppose us, we wouldn't hate them, but we would love them all the more. And that we would follow through, not because we're strong, not because we uh, are better, but because you are good and you are useful and you are powerful. Lord God, help us to show others your beauty. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen.